biting down on this fork. I just want this fork so I can eat an olive. Did you also put your frozen stuff in the freezer? I put everything in the fridge. I don't think I got anything frozen. Okay. Yeah, imagine. That would send me to a mental hospital. Yeah. What is going on with you? Thanks for checking. That was the sound of me opening my beer. Yeah. There's one Stella left. Yeah. The richest beer. Delicious. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. I'm Joanna. I'm Christina. Can you tell us something's wrong? (laughs) Something's off. I'm Christina. Okay, that was a prank. (laughs) I'm Joanna. (laughs) You can tell by the sound of me taking my D-manos for my probably incoming UTI, but I'm taking it with beer. (laughs) That is Chaus. Yeah, but I love to be crazy and different. That's the best way one could be crazy and different. (laughs) Yep. And now I'm going to eat olives out of the jar while Joanna tells me something. Okay, I'm really excited to talk to you this week, Christina, because... Not every uh, week? To what? Not every week? But this week in particular, (laughs) this this topic is really interesting, and I feel like it's one of those things that's hard. This week, we're going to be talking about aging online, Um, and I feel like it's something that is really hard to, like, pinpoint in a search for articles and we've talked around it before too you know we had our episode about rituals and skincare routines which is you know skincare is a big anti-aging thing a lot of times we talked about um, beauty standards and bodies which are obviously catered toward youth um, and younger looking people um But I think there's a lot of like, you know, there's physical aging and how we see that and experience that being online. And then there's also some interesting um, aspects of mental aging and how we feel mentally aged by being online. Um, So this is going to be a pretty introspective episode, I think. And so I'll be asking some questions of your experience, if anything resonates that you would like to talk about please pipe up already I'm just reminded of the episode we did about um time yes that we are like our perceptions of time have changed Mm -hmm. because we think time is moving slower than it actually wait I don't know if I said that right I don't know you were saying like people were asked to guess an hour and they guessed like 50 minutes or something had gone by or no they 50 minutes had gone by and they guessed an hour. We're one of those. Go back and listen to the episode. Listen. No, no, it was that. It was that we were like, oh my God, like so much time has passed. It had to, it has to be an hour now. Yeah. And that's was- only 50 minutes or something. Yeah. Okay. So, yes, um, that go plug for that episode, people. Go listen to it. But first, listen to this one. All right. So I will begin by talking about physical aging. Um, And some of this we're revisiting, but, you know, it can never be said enough, some of these things. Okay. So as Christina mentioned in the episode about beauty, um, the beauty standard is evolving. But I think it is still markedly a young person right? Youth is and has always been a sign of beauty and, um, you know, a value of beauty. And that's not something we really see changing. Often, um, as we talked about in the skincare episode, right? People in their routines seek out markers of youth to be wrinkle-free, to have unweathered skin, This is the standard of beauty and physical body people are striving for. And to what end do they go to meet this standard? Um, The first thing we will be talking about is plastic surgery, which we have mentioned before on the pod. Um, Often people get plastic surgery just to change their body in general, but 
you know, a lot of the times it is to make people look younger. For example, you might get a facelift or Botox um, to make yourself have a more youthful, less saggy face. Um, You might get some kind of liposuction after you have kids. There is an article from Forbes uh, from earlier this year in January um, that is all about the rise of plastic surgery and how Hollywood kind of plays into it, which I think is interesting because I think, you know, people have always thought of Hollywood and celebrities as driving the beauty standard and also plastic surgery. But I think, um, as I'll talk about a little bit later, social media, I think is becoming, and we all can see this too. Social media is also starting to play a much bigger role in setting these standards as well. So Forbes in this article states that in 2021, Aesthetic surgeries, so surgeries, you know, like a cosmetic surgery, not for um, health necessarily purposes. In 2021, they had increased 53% in the United States. And so this idea of, you know, cosmetic surgeries are open to everyone, but women count for 94% of all cosmetic procedures and 43% of college-aged patients who get cosmetic surgery admit a willingness. I mean, I don't know if that's kind of phrased weirdly, but basically they say that they are willing to undergo more surgeries in the future. So this is really um, the population of people getting cosmetic surgeries are mostly women and they're mostly fairly young. This article touches on something that I think is really important, which is that cosmetic surgery is becoming more popular, as we said, and it's also a lot less expensive and accessible to people at this time where they are constantly bombarded with these visuals, both in traditional media and on social media. Um, One really interesting, recently trending cosmetic surgery, Christina, can you guess which one I'm going to talk about briefly? Jobs. No. No. I don't know if this is even like maybe this is really no, old. I feel like boob boob and nose. Boob and nose are trendy recently. Well, I guess they're always trendy. Recently, yeah. recently chin lipo. Chin or lipo. Chin, the one chin. that I and this might have been like really early in the year. Okay, I don't know if this moment is already over, but the buckle fat removal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, also, is that how you say that word? I always thought it was buccal. That's what I thought, too. Yeah. We need a medical terminologist to tell us. Please write in. Voice note us. (laughs) Buccal or buckle? I think it's buckle. Yeah. Um, So, if you don't know, um, Buke or buck is the Latin root for cheek. Um, And so buckle fat removal is removing fat from your cheeks, essentially to give you like a hollowed out look, very Tim Burton-esque. As everyone knows. Jack Skeleton. Wait, what's that? Skeleton Jack? Yeah. Jack Skellington? Jack Skellington? What's that? That's... There's the Corpse Bride, and there's the Nightmare Before Christmas. I think he's in one of those. Yeah, he's in the yeah. Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. Very gorgeous look. Very Edwards um, does their hands. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, so if you haven't seen on the internet, this was um, a procedure that was going around in popularity. People talking about getting it, wanting to get it. Um, on YouTube, the YouTuber Swell Entertainment did a really good um, video essay on buckle fat removal called the viral plastic surgery, which I think anyone should watch if they're interested in this kind of stuff. Um, but in the video, Swell talks about how this is a really interesting example of a surgery that is primarily pioneered by or first was 
got by social media celebrities and then became popular in the mainstream celebrity world. Um, which is sort of interesting how the beauty standards and the body standards are, it's kind of continually changing the population who's setting those. Um, and then how we, we like at what point we as society see the trend trending and then when does it trickle down to the rest of us? Um, like I said, cosmetic surgery is getting less expensive and more popular among the general public. So it's getting to us faster and faster and it's more accessible. So I'm curious about, and I think this is a separate discussion, but the thing about like cosmetic surgery to me is like, there are tools to manipulate your face. Like you can use makeup every day to manipulate your face or you can stuff your bra or, you know, you can do those kinds of things that aren't permanent um, changes to your body, but that do create a physical change. And so I understand, I guess it makes sense. You want to, if you're putting, if you're contouring the fuck out of your face every day, then eventually you're like, okay, I guess I'll just get all of that fat sucked out of my face because I'm trying to disappear it every day anyway. And it just reminds me of like the Judith Butler gender performativity thing. Like every day we put on some kind of gendered costume Mm -hmm. and makeup plays such a huge role in that. And then cosmetic surgery is like the next step past makeup. And so there's like two trains of thought that I'm having, which is cosmetic surgery takes away that kind of gendered play and then the other thought is does any kind of cosmetic surgery count as like gender affirming surgery and is that a complicated thing for me to say because someone who's like getting a boob job to get their boobs bigger does not have the same experience as someone who like is becoming a woman on the outside and wants boobs. Mm -hmm. That's where my brain is going right now. Yeah, that is really interesting. And for the second question, I don't know the answer. I do think that like health, because a lot of this is like based on what health insurance says, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, which is terrible. And I don't know if it is changing, but I do know traditionally, unfortunately, a lot of gender affirming care is, um, you know, would go under the umbrella of elected, elective surgery, Mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, aesthetic or cosmetic. Um, Is is all cosmetic surgery out of pocket? I don't know. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know if some health insurance has gotten better to, or like if public health insurance has gotten better, right? Because it's also, even if private insurance is better, it doesn't. Um, yeah, it seems very complicated, but that is um, a good point that you raise. The thing that I have in my notes that I think is important, well, one, sort of like we were talking about, and I do think anyone can do whatever they want with their body and you should feel empowered to. Um, I think that the buckle fat thing, at least, like a lot of the criticism it's drawing is sort of parallels what we were talking about, about like listening to your body, but in a way that like, actually you have that fat on your face for a reason. You know, when you get older, you naturally, your, your cheeks naturally hollow out. And then people getting this elective surgery now are like, they're, I don't know they're just going to look even more hollowed out as they age. Right. And then like, yeah. And then it's like, oh, we only give a fuck. Like there was so much anti-buckle fat stuff because it makes you look old. Yeah. Like I'm sure, which is what you're saying. Like, yeah. We only care about that one because we think it's bad to look old. Right. Yeah. It. I mean, I think for me, like the biggest thing that I think is important when we talk about this stuff is transparency, um, which will come in a little bit more when I talk about filters. 
Um, but the same thing with plastic surgery, right? People are really cagey about how they come to look the way that they look. And I feel like with makeup, it's just, um, I don't know if it seems like there's less at stake <laughs> or if it's just more apparent to a lot of us when someone is wearing makeup. But I just think that that's what I don't like. And we've talked about this before on the show that especially when you're selling something or even if you're selling yourself as a brand and you're not being truly transparent about how you got the body that you have, that can be really damaging to people um, and their psyche. Yeah. For those of you who keep up with like the TikTok of it all, the TikTok influencer people, um, so many people have been getting, I mean, I said boob and nose job because like boob and nose job always, but you know, Alex Earl got a boob job. I feel like that's like really when she blew up and then Kennedy Erich got a boob job and she got liposuction and she's like a, a very petite person who it was like surprising to learn that she had gotten liposuction and you know, you like see this picture of her before where she's like a very thin person mm -hmm. and she's like, and they sucked like five pounds of fat off of my stomach or whatever. And then she got boob job, a boob job. And she was like really, really open about the boob job. And then someone like people were guessing in the comments if she had gotten liposuction. And then she was mm -hmm. like, oh, like I wasn't gonna say anything but yeah I got liposuction and I was like really surprised at how much fat that they were able to get off of my body because she was really skinny before and is still really skinny um no opinion on that at the moment just things I've seen Victoria Paris got her chin got chin lipo you know yeah and people are talking about the things that they're getting at least the people I follow that I mean at least that I know of yeah I mean some celebrities are like notoriously never admitting to getting anything done um when in all likelihood they probably have had things done but those may be more mainstream celebrities and perhaps in the social media celebrity world it's a little bit more common to ad admit to what you've gotten done but the other thing I sort of wonder like that what you're saying reminds me of is like how, which is also something we plan to talk about later in the in the season, is like how common these things are like in insular communities. Like it almost people, the way that I feel like I hear about it discussed in the people that I follow is that it's like a rite of passage or that everyone does it. Um, when really that's not my experience as a person in the world. I don't know that many people who have gotten these elective surgeries, but I can imagine there feels like immense pressure from being online. And then also if people you know who have the same job as you have gotten these procedures, it really gets like the public health part of my brain spinning about like the epidemiology or like how you could think about like the networked effects of this kind of I mean obviously I'm not saying cosmetic surgery is like a disease but a lot of people um you know they liken different phenomena that spread like disease you know to something you could you could model epidemiologically so like how does plastic surgery kind of spread in a community is something that I think is kind of interesting yeah that's a good way to put it because you're mirroring the people in your circle mm -hmm. it's like everyone got a fucking Nalgene yes yeah. <laughs> except and that's a water bottle <laughs> I like uh, to empathize like I honestly can't imagine how absolutely wild that would feel to feel like everybody is undergoing a surgery mm -hmm. <laughs> like and feel so much pressure to get a surgery surgery is like I mean, some surgeries are not a big deal, but like a surgery is a surgery and you have to recover from those things. Even like this elective procedures, like people undergo like intense periods of recovery um, after those things. Um, Kennedy, 
Ken Yurich said that she actually felt completely fine and it was more dangerous and she felt like that was kind of dangerous because there was a lot of stuff she wasn't supposed to do mm. like she could do and I think that's when people start to, like after a boob job that's when people kind of fuck up their I don't know post-op situation mm. also I was remembering that insurance will cover your nose job if you have a deviated septum right like correct that but I I my guess is generally like you can't get anything covered by insurance but um yeah to be I mean it's I like don't ever want to get surgery that I don't need for my health Mm -hmm. that's a personal feeling I got my appendix out that fucking sucked yeah it did suck and I got my wisdom teeth out and like also my body did just does not react well to anesthesia yeah never want to do that <gasps> Joanna what Isaiah's watching the show called Lennox Hill oh I've heard of that it's crazy it's about these brain surgeons in New York and mm-hmm. it's like a docuseries about their life mm-hmm Obviously, I cried at like all, every episode because they're like really crazy because it's like, you know, real patients going through this stuff. Yeah. But you get to see the surgery and that part is cool. Like all the actual like medical stuff is cool. But like, you know, obviously the human part is what made me sad. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I recommend if you're like in a headspace to watch it. I'm not, but I did watch a little bit. Mm-hmm. You see them. And I saw someone do a surgery that was like similar to the surgery my mom got. Yeah, they they really like have to saw your fucking skull open. I'm so glad that there are people in the world who know how to do that. You have to just be so like confident. And one of them, like he was like washing his hands and he was like, you are a robot. You are a robot talking to himself. Yeah. (laughs) The same thing with politicians. Like, (laughs) no, I'm not going to say it. It's like could never be me. I'm glad there are narcissists in this world. That's all I'm saying because I they do things. Yeah, you need them. Yeah, no one could be a brain surgeon if they weren't like really confident. Do yeah. kind of maybe a character flaw. Yes. Title of the episode: All brain surgeons are narcissists. <laughs> exclamation point! <laughs> Not question mark! Exclamation point! Okay. So next, I'll just talk quickly about filters, um, you know, and wrapping up our physical, physical aging body conversation. So um, I think it's kind of funny for me. I'm not someone who's on Instagram. Sorry to spoil for anybody who thinks that it's me on there sometimes. Um, It's not. but. So one thing that I think is really funny, because like for me, when I hear the phrase Instagram filter, you know what I think of? (gasps) I think of like those original like eight filters that you could put on your Instagram photos, like, and you know, everyone used like the heat one that made it look like summertime and it made you look tan or whatever. Sometimes you'd use the one with like Clarendon. Is the first one. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Then they're, yeah, and then they get, like, you know, hazy, whatever. Yes. That's funny. You have not been on Instagram since Instagram started 10 years ago. No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, because I saw pictures of you with that. The pillow face. Yes. Yes, which we have done before. Yeah. Um. Right. But so the progression has gone. And I think still on Instagram, some of the filters are just color and lighting filters. But now we have traversed into more facial filters that alter your physical appearance um, using some augmented reality technology. And so is that how you like when you hear the phrase Instagram filter? Do you think of all of those things or like the facial filter more so? I think of all of them kind of. It just mm-hmm. kind of depends on the context. But mm-hmm. I remember when I took my first like darkroom photography class, someone was using a 
like in in a when you're developing film you the way that you develop the film is you use all these chemicals and then you like have to essentially use light to print the photo onto the paper and you can do that in in with different techniques one of them being using filters which either make the thing lighter or warmer or cooler or whatever and I remember someone being like oh it's like an Instagram filter and my teacher being like no like the Instagram filter is like this oh my god and it's funny it is funny like the lighting like the you know the cooler warmer image or more contrasted image or whatever not like the make your face a completely different face right but a filter was like is a physical filter yeah it's like a light filter like a different like sheet like a mm-hmm. like a, a different sheet of paper that wasn't paper I can't describe it fascinating yeah um so in the world of Instagram filters you know there do exist more artistic or funny filters but in comparison they the number of these filters is dwarfed by the number of beauty filters um and so i really just wanted to mention this MIT technology review article which um was really interesting i thought talking about how beauty filters took over social media and how they're changing the way young girls see themselves. Um, It's by Tate Ryan Mosley from 2021. And it was a pretty interesting article overall. And they, I was really searching for like studies about this, which I don't think there have been that many. Obviously there have been a lot of studies about like teens and social media overall. Um, But this article quoted a researcher from the University of South Wales, Claire Pescott, who studies the behavior of preteens on social media. And she ran focus groups on um, specifically gender differences in their experiences and opinions about Instagram filters. Pescott is quoted as saying, all of the boys said, these are really fun. I like to put on the funny ears. I like to share them with my friends and we have a laugh. She says, young girls, however, see AR filters primarily as a tool for beautification. Quote, the young girls were all saying things like, I put this filter on because I have flawless skin. It takes away my scars and spots. And these children in the focus groups were 10 and 11. It's I think is really interesting because obviously at the top, we talked about how um, young skin, I think is like one of the markers of beauty. And it's crazy to me that these 10 and 11 year olds perceive their skin to be, uh, to have blemishes and to not be flawless and need filters or not need filters, but right, they like the filters because it helps them achieve this flawless skin. I don't exactly know what to say about that other than I think that to me kind of like screams the definition of unrealistic beauty standard when it's computer generated, right? Like literally it's unachievable what a filter does, I mean, in the same way that plastic surgery, like a lot of what comes out of there is not anything that a human body would ever look like. Um, and then if we are talking about, you know, accessibility of these things and also how achievable they are monetarily, how much you see them, I think Instagram filters are just like an insane new frontier of super accessible, super affordable, and around us all the time. I thought you were going to say like 12, 13, which is not so far off than 10, 11, but 10, 11 feels really, really bleak. Yeah. You know? Like a 10 or 11 year old girl, um, you know, in a group of 10 and 11 year old girls, likely most of them are 
quite a few of them haven't started puberty yet. Um, I doubt in a whole group of 10, 11 year old girls, they would all have acne um, or have scars and spots on their skin. Um, Obviously it'd be fine if they do, but (laughs) like, I just doubt that. Only 10 years old. Yeah. Like it hasn't even been in the sun that much. Also if they're in Wales. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like that is so shocking to me. I think, and I know that if I had access to that kind of thing at that age, because it's also like such, it feels like they're, and I've talked about this before, maybe not so explicitly, but like, there's such a fine line between like caring about beauty as as a hobby, like a hobbyist, beautyist kind of person who like mm-hmm. thinks of it specifically like hair and makeup as like play and art versus like this kind of obligation to fit into a standard using those tools. And as and I feel like those are often aligned with like being like pretty pretty feminine, like hyper femme no matter your, like, gender, like, I don't know, if you're someone who likes to wear makeup, whatever. Anyway, like, that, like, I know that I've always been a very feminine person, and I also, and so I know that, like, if that tool had been in my hand to, like, change my face to look like it had makeup on it, when I don't have to go ask my mom if I can buy some makeup, like, but I can still have it on my face for free and in private secretly. Mm-hmm. And it has like little butterflies flying around my head. Like, yeah, I would use that. And I would think that I only looked pretty with it on. Yeah. I do remember, I mean, I was probably in, and maybe you can place this in time better than me. Um, I forget what the service was called, but there was like some online photo editing service like pick something or like picnic picnic, yeah and I think on picnic there were like at least this is the only thing that I have that is remotely similar to this which is um I think there were like features you could like whiten your teeth on picnic or you could like make your skin look tanner um (laughs) I don't know if I like ever actually like posted anything with those, but I definitely like did apply them to photos of myself and, you know, ingest how I looked different with whiter teeth that had never had a sip of coffee in their life. So don't know how they would be yellow, but. Thank you. You did use Picnic a lot. Me? Yeah. Okay. Thank you for remembering that for me yeah we weren't like friends yet but we were friends on Facebook and I was and you were always posting like photo booth pictures with Eleanor that you had like picnicked a lot and I did that too I'm like saying are you judging me for that or like no I'm saying I did it too but we had different picnic styles oh I see and I thought yours were cool yours were like kind of darker and more blue I was, I think I was, I was like as emo as I, as like within my range of emo, I think in that time of my life. The thing about being emo in that, in middle school is that like, I desperately wanted to be emo. Yeah. I I couldn't be though, because I didn't have the confidence. And so looking back, the people who actually were yeah that's cool as fuck no yeah this one I'm saying is like in my range of emo capacity yeah same yeah less than yours oh thank you (laughs) but Um, but I wasn't emo to clarify it for the listener you just had darker hair yeah I just I just have features that are naturally more emo it's just really cool to be who you are Yes, so true. And I mean this like with with true, like genuine, earnest love. Yeah. Oh my God. That's beautiful, Christina. I agree. I think I think especially as we get older, I get older. I feel like I 
admire those traits a lot more. I just didn't have the confidence. Yeah. Okay. So we've already touched on this a little bit, but there's a lot of, in the space of aging and physical beauty online, there's a lot of social comparison um, and sort of marking yourself against a line of other people, right? And that's, I mean, that's just what social comparison is, is comparing yourself to others. And the question is, what is normal? Um, and I thought it was particularly interesting. I wanted to research a little bit more about mental aging, specifically aging out of online content and aging in to online content. So what do I mean by that? And what do I mean when I say mental aging and how the internet mentally ages us? Um, well, the first thing that I think of uh, is the generational wars, which I think people have used that phrase to like actually talk about important topics like the housing crisis or like <laughs> social security. But when I talk about the general wars, I mean like our cultural touch points as millennials or Gen Zs or cuspers, whoever we are. Things like the skinny gene versus wide leg gene debate, side part versus middle part, any others that we should mention? Like cropped leggings? Cropped leggings, Harry Potter, um, the cry laugh emoji. Right, I love that. GIFs, GIFs. GIFs, right. Um, so Instagram like reels. Instagram reels? Yeah. Yeah. Versus TikToks, right. Yeah. So what's interesting about the general generational wars, especially as they're playing out online, is I feel like there's a big undercurrent of all of these things is an older generation feeling like they're left out of the current trends or like what they have come to know and love is not trendy anymore. Like when there were 45,000 million bajillion videos of like millennial women singing a song about how like their skinny jeans are really cool and fuck Gen Z, you guys suck. And it's kind of like, what? right? Yes. Um, it's, it's really interesting to behold, right? And it's also not all of us, right? And that's the social comparison part of it too. Like it, it, this is like a small group of people online who like seem to truly care about <laughs> like which one of these is better when obviously neither of them are better. Just one is trendy right now with a demographic, which I'll talk about is the one who sets the trends on the internet. Um, but it's, I think, really interesting when, you know, people come to feel like they're not in control especially for millennials who are the first generation to have been young on social media and then to get old on social media. So there is a really good Wired article by Aaron Carson called Growing Old Online, which talks about this topic exactly. Carson in the article goes through a lot of their experiences and how they have personally perceived growing old online. Uh, one quote that I really liked from the article, Carson says, the internet was our music that our parents couldn't understand. Sometimes a friend's parent would make an AOL account and all of us fumbling through middle school with our screen names in our chat rooms and our passive aggr aggressive away messages and our old live journals would shriek with laughter about it. An old person on the internet it was the best joke in the world. And then later in the article, Carson says, and now having an AOL account, right, is the oldest thing you could possibly do on the internet. Um, and so, yeah, I think I won't, you know, go through everything Carson says in the whole article. I just think it's really interesting. But essentially, I think it's just this really and like the article states, right, since millennials are the only generation this has happened to so far. And I feel a little bit like that, too. I'm 
a cusper. I feel like I was young on the internet and now I do feel kind of older on the internet. Um, but not like in any extreme kind of ways, but right. We've, we're old enough to see changes like Facebook being really popular and then less popular Snapchat being really popular and then less popular TikTok, you know, skyrocketing in popularity. And then obviously one day, shocker, TikTok will not be popular anymore. Twitter too, right? Um, And so I think the most interesting thing that Carson points out in this article is that young people take up the most space online by cultural volume, if not necessarily by actual numbers, which I think points exactly to this piece of social comparison and trend setting. Um, And I I don't know why, (laughs) but I think it is true that for some reason, young people, and they're really young, like we are young, but it's younger people than us who decide what's cool or what's trendy online. And of course, that's all relative, right? Like in smaller niche or communities, other things are cool and other things are trendy. Um, But it's these really young people and they aren't necessarily the majority of people online, but culturally they, these youth voices are the ones that are really valued online. And it's not like a generational, you know, a cohort of youth, it is just, you know, whatever, whoever is the youth of the time, which I think is really interesting that like, why is it that, you know, the 18 year olds who were online when the internet first came out, why didn't they um, keep, why didn't the way that they use the internet stay the most popular way to use the internet you know it's like the um the dorian gray quote which was my hilariously which was my um senior quote youth youth there's nothing in the world but youth or something like it's some something that's so and i remember like picking that because i had been read. i obviously had read it in high school and i was just like oh like everyone is telling me to be young and to stay young and to be happy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we could compare uh, Oscar Wilde to Olivia Rodrigo. Mm-hmm. Um, the, what is it? I'm so sick of 17. Where's my fucking teenage dream? It's like the same thing. So funny. Yeah. There's just such a cultural weight put on being young that I think is never going to change and and then and then you see how that kind of like carries into what is canonized you know like the Beatles were like not taken seriously when the Beatles first started out because it was all young women who loved them Mm -hmm. and then slowly as that um you know generation aged now the Beatles are like the Beatles you know Mm -hmm. and they just have such a different connotation than they did in the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll see how that changes. Like, I think Madonna in the 80s was probably like, oh, Madonna's like this, just this random, like not random, but like, you know, she's a pop star. And now it's like, Madonna's one of the most famous and Cher mm-hmm. and eventually Lady Gaga, one of the most like famous female singers. Of- right. I don't know. Yeah. It's just like, no one gives a fuck or like everyone is judging the young people for caring about the thing. And yet that's where cultural weight goes. That's where money gets poured into. That's how like, you know, formerly record sales happen now streams. Um, And then as that group ages, it's taken more seriously because it's, has a legacy now because Mm -hmm. it's something that has been cared about for decades um so I think like being young or like things that are valued by young people are just in the strange space of like they're they're valued so highly because of the young people and yet they're not taken seriously Mm -hmm. and then eventually that flips 
And, but they also become the butt of the joke, you know? It's like, yeah. Only, only dads like the Beatles or like, I don't know, the police or something. Yes. Like yeah. the police, not the actual police. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's a really interesting point. Um, and yeah, I think you're, I think you're really right. Um, a theory. Yes. Thank you for presenting that theory, Christina. Um, so the, another interesting thing that Carson talks about, um, to end the article is how a lot of people in their 30s, 30s and 40s their choice in how they deal with the generational wars on the internet and how they deal with relinquishing ownership of the internet and trends on the internet is just to opt out and reduce their social media presence, making accounts private, posting less, removing their lives into other shapes and formats, which Carson also points out it can often bring enormous relief <laughs> to not have to keep up with internet trends. Um, aging out maybe gives people permission to be less extremely online and pressure to keep up with relevance of youth culture. On the flip side of aging out of online content is aging into online content, which is something we will talk about more later in the season, um, specifically around the process of consenting to take your stuff offline um, and some of the consequences that can come from being really online, especially when you're really young. I think about this idea of aging into online content, both from consumption of content and production of online content. There are no real rules for what kids can do online. A lot of services have in their use agreements, you have to be a certain age, you need parental permission. I know that like, I don't think the internet has changed that much from when I was a kid. Like you didn't actually need any of that stuff. Like you could just sign up for whatever you wanted because kids also are more often internet savvy than their parents. So like they are being, you know, digital natives are just more technologically savvy at knowing how to get around those things. You know, there's the, at least for me and my people, there's the concept of being a YouTube kid. <laughs> Do you identify as being a YouTube kid or, you know, a younger person who watched a lot of YouTube? Kind of. Yeah, I do too, a little bit. Although when I was thinking about this uh, for the episode, I can't think about how it affected me that much. Like I wanted to have something to say about like, oh my God, being on YouTube and these people changed the way that I think about things. But I don't know that it really did. But I was on YouTube probably too much as a kid. I, I watched a lot of you know, the early YouTube comedians in quotations or entertainers or whatever were so loud, mm -hmm. like screaming and crazy. Mm -hmm. Fred. Fred, yeah. I watched a lot of Fred. Mm -hmm. And I definitely thought that that was really hilarious mm -hmm. and tried to be that way. And I would get yelled at at the dinner table um, almost every day because my parents are teachers so they were with kids who were being annoying all day mm -hmm. and I specifically remember one time when me and my brother were being really loud but it was mostly me and my dad was like I am around this all day like can you yeah. please stop and he and he did kind of yell and he was not a yelling guy so it really stuck with me That's and really I watched funny. a lot of like Jenna Marbles mm -hmm. so yeah um but I didn't I feel like I didn't okay yeah no I kind of was though because I did like the cinnamon challenge and the the um the ice and the the ice bucket no the ice bucket challenge I feel like was later yeah that was an Instagram like nomination or just a social media nomination, nomination. what's what's the ice thing 
when you put salt on your skin and then put ice on it and you just fucking burn your skin. Oh, ow. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> do that stuff. But sometimes I do watch, and I can't think of one specifically. I'm really sorry, people. Um, I, I Everyone that I did watch on YouTube, like, literally doesn't exist on YouTube anymore. Oh. Um, okay, wait, actually, now I'm think I'm remembering. Community channel. I also watched, like, oh, comedy stuff. Tran. Yeah, community channel. I love I upload a video, like, maybe once every two years now. Yes. She's um, a genius. Yes, she's so funny, but also like literally, I mean, not like really raunchy stuff, but like kind of inappropriate for like a 10-year-old. Like obviously a 10-year-old, nine-year-old is not the audience for community channel. Right. Um, I didn't get it for so long. Yeah. But I knew, but it was funny. Again. Yeah. And then I, it was really actually really funny. She's great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, wait, I actually do remember. I'm going to have to go on this tangent. Um, It's not going to be coherent because I'm just remembering it now. But so I think that there was a popular channel called Soho Girls that I never watched. I didn't know anything about Soho Girls. Um, But so for reference, community channel is... She's from Australia. She has Asian features. Soho Girl was also Asian. And Natalie Tran of Community Channel did a parody of Soho Girl called No Ho Girl. Oh, Um, Natalie Tran's Vietnamese. Vietnamese? Yeah. Essentially, they looked similar. And um, so Natalie Tran did a very funny parody of... uh, Noho girl no soho girl called noho girl and in the comments of the video people were saying things about them being sisters but I'm pretty sure it was sarcastic anyways I I'm sure it was sarcastic now in the past me I could not understand sarcasm because I was too young (laughs) so I and like this was something it ended up being like a bit of a back and forth between the two of them which I'm sure just like got them more views and like they weren't actually feuding but like to me content what's up I don't remember this it was like not a big thing but anyways there were just like two or three videos between the two of them um where it seemed like they were in a fight and in my brain people said they were sisters so I remember like leaving not like a hate comment on community channel but just being kind of like oh my god like this video is crazy of her to make especially because that's her sister and that's like such a mean thing to do your do to your sister literally like the only comment I've ever left on a YouTube video and it got like so many dislikes (laughs) Because I just didn't know actually what I was talking about because I didn't understand subtext. <laughs> but um, yeah, those are the consequences. You so embarrassed when you got dislikes. I was embarrassed. I was like, what did I say? Like, come on, guys. Like, we're all here together. And like, if anyone knew that that was like a literal 10-year-old, like making that comment, I'm sure they would be like, I mean, I probably misspelled something. It might have been like so obvious. But I was like, my sister is five, and I would never make a video like this about her. <laughs> I know. I was like, dang, they're really going hard. Like, they are not friends. Like, oh my God, I can't believe sisters could like feud like this online. But yeah, yeah no, they were not sisters. <laughs> they were just two people doing a video. Um, anyways. On the topic of YouTube, you know, I've never seen Two Girls One Cup in my life. <laughs> That's probably good. Have you seen it? Uh, yeah, when I was a lot younger. Can we watch it? I don't want to watch it. <laughs> I've never seen it. Okay, people, the only if we get how many how many dollar donations? Oh, you won't watch it for free. I'm just saying, maybe the people want us to watch it. Okay, yeah. If you want, I'll do it for a dollar. Just one dollar? I'll do it for nothing. I've never seen it. I'm curious. Okay, I I'll want at least twenty dollars. <laughs> twenty one dollars is our fee. 
Let's and- do a reaction video. Oh, we should start doing reaction videos to things that like everyone has seen. Like, like so long as if it's new. Like we're like, oh, have you guys seen this video? Someone just posted. Oh my god, Joanna. Wait, I did see that video of that girl who ate her tampon. Oh my god, stop. Okay. <laughs> we talked about consumption of online content and aging in. I don't know if you're going to leave on what you said about two girls, one cup, but that is an interesting example of something that people who are really young should not have watched. Um, and yet they did. But there's also the production side. So um, Pew Research, who, you know, puts out a lot of interesting data about the Internet um, and America. I think that's like what their survey is called. It's like the Internet and America life. Um, Anyways, so 50% of all teens they report are what might be called content creators online. So they do some kind of, I'm sorry, 50, 50% of all teens are online content creators, which maybe sounds like a lot, but that is like literally as simple as, you know, having your Instagram page where you post photos. Um, If you have a blog it's like these are just people who have social media they have social media but that means that they are creating content and posting it online they are producing online content wait so is the number out of all teens 50 percent make i'm online content or is it yes. okay yes it's 50 percent specifically creative content there's a bit of an uh, gender discrepancy. So 29% of boys 15 to 17 share creative content online, um, but 38% of girls in that age group do. I don't, I'd be interested to know like if the numbers on this have changed, but obviously, and you brought up old Facebook photos earlier, Christina. Um, right. Like depending on the definition of content creator, content producer, right. We put photos on our Facebook. I but right like I don't produce anything online. I guess I produce this. So never mind. But <laughs> I haven't shared a photo online since like, you know, 10 years ago on Facebook. But so I don't know like exactly how the numbers have changed for teens, but I do think that something about this idea is changing, right? Specifically in public versus private platforms. And how the algorithms have changed um, to favor discoverability of content so that content of anyone, including teens and children, can be pushed out to so many more people than it could ever be before, where you had to like know somebody to be their Facebook friend or to, you know, know somebody to search them up. So many people have been canceled. <laughs> by what they said online years and years ago when they were younger. Um, Lisa Davis wrote an article about this in the Washington Post in 2021. Interestingly, in this article, the education company Kaplan is stated as finding 36 that 36% of college admission counselors use social media profiles in decision-making about applicants. And the majority, 58%, report that what they find has a negative impact (laughs) on the college admissions for an individual. And the last thing I'll say about this is, I think this also ties in really neatly to a lot of what we've been talking about this season about just the nature of the tools that are available for people to post things online. So mainly that's social medias, right? Sonia Livingstone is a professor of social psychology at the London School of Economics and Political Science. They are quoted in this Washington Post article as saying, these are fantastically difficult moral dilemmas for teenagers who act impulsively using tools that are not fully under their control leading to consequences that perhaps none of us can anticipate. This is the first time we've had a society in which almost by default, everything is recorded and shared and aggregated in ways that create a lifelong profile. 
children should have the right to make mistakes. I thought that was really powerful. I think it's something we all think about a lot that like, obviously, I don't think, I mean, I think it's kind of a gray area, but generally I do agree. Kids and children should have the right to make mistakes. Um, But this piece that I hadn't really thought about before that we've been talking a lot about this season is that the platforms themselves, the tools that exist, do not really honor that. (laughs) Um, And they're built to, they're they're almost built, like uh, Livingstone says, to enhance impulsive behavior, right? The idea that Twitter is like your thoughts. Um, That's not a tool that would positively impact somebody who is, you know, hoping one day to maybe erase their online presence or is regretful of things that they thought or said um, when they were much younger. Um, And yeah, so I'm, I'm not sure really how people should age into online content, specifically age into online content production. But I do think that it's not rat right now. It ain't rat. Just not rat. It is such a gray area and it's such a confuse. And it, I mean, it's just such a situational thing. And it gets more complicated if the thing that you, that, you know, some teenager is posting online has little to no consequence of another person, you know. But like, there are plenty of cases in which it does actually hurt another person. Yes. And when it gets even harder. And, I I do also generally agree people should be able to make mistakes that doesn't negate consequence either though you know like you do something Mm -hmm. shitty in person or online there are going to be consequences to it and like even Mm -hmm. if you are 15 hopefully you know the consequence isn't that 15 years from now you don't get to do something you want to do because of like a minute mistake you made that happens to still be on record Mm -hmm. but like you know it depends on what what that later in life goal is and what that initial mistake was you know like that's always going to be different you can't apply the same logic or consequence to the vastness of mistakes that can be made online you know Mm -hmm. and also like some things are mistakes and some things are just bad choices Mm -hmm. and I think those are like it's my personal philosophy that like those two things are really different because to me that is intent you know I intended to make this decision and it was a bad one and it like fucked someone over or like I accidentally posted something by the slip of my finger or whatever that's different yeah no I think that's very well said and I agree I do think though that like for children I don't know I I tend to I mean obviously I I totally acknowledge and I 100% agree that the area is gray and I don't know if it's right of me to feel this way but I don't know that children should be held to the same standard of um intent yeah that adults are yeah I don't know I think that makes sense you have no life experience you don't know what the fuck you're doing you have a different right like yeah I mean you're literally not allowed to vote like you're not allowed to like do so many things and yet you are allowed quote to have like an online opinion like I just feel like I just feel like (laughs) I don't know like it's so weird like obviously it's not that like children and teens shouldn't be allowed online but like they're just so amplified when they are yeah why isn't there like a little baby internet yeah Get on that mama internet, papa internet. <laughs> Make us a baby internet already. Yeah. Like, Get busy. I think about this with like, you know, like my grandma can't use a phone now. Yeah. Just give her, just where is the, I, the senior iPhone or like, and maybe this does exist and I haven't like searched hard enough for it, but a software you can download onto your iPhone because everyone has an iPhone mm-hmm. that like either makes it usable and safe for a really little person or a really old person. Mm-hmm. They yeah. won't allow that, the iPhone. Why? Because they're freaking anti 
open software and like would only let their proprietary software or any softwares that they approve from the app store be on the iPhone. Right. And we have to buy in because we're Apple sheep. Yeah, I am an Apple sheep. Wait, sheep is singular, isn't it? It's both. Right, okay. So to sum up, you know, how old you feel and how old you look online probably depends on the communities you occupy, their majority demographics or the loud minority. So true. Well said. Thank you. I learned a lot. This focused a lot on youth. On youth? Yeah. Yeah. There's so much youth online. Right. I feel like there's even more we could say about aging, too. Like, But all the youths. All the youths. Have you seen My Cousin Vinny, the movie? No. Really good. You should watch it. He's always like, the youths, the youths. Interesting. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. So it's like Oscar Wilde, Olivia Rodrigo, Joe Pesci, the youths. Okay. I was like, they're all in My Cousin Vinny? No. <laughs> Oh, my dream. Wait. <laughs> oh my god. Um I'm going to make this is inspiring me to make the Instagram picture for this episode be dream blunt dream blunt rotation. Oscar Wilde, Olivia Rodrigo, Joe Pesci. Perfect. <laughs> you and me. Amazing. I learned a lot. Thank you. Thank you. This is well-researched and eye-opening and made me think about a lot of stuff. Wow. That's all we could hope for an episode of How We Live Online. So if you like us, would you do donate a dollar? So Joanna is forced to watch Two Girls, One Cup with me. It's $20. For you, it's $1. $21 in total. We'll both watch it. Joanna will do it for less. No, I won't. Christina, honor my boundary. (laughs) No. I'll print out a $20 bill. <laughs> Are you going to pay me $20 to watch it with you? No, I'll steal it back. You can't talk about that right now. <laughs> anyway, I'll start crying if I talk about money. <laughs> okay, bye.